Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. If you guys don't know me, my name is Matt Barnett. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just love being up here to be able to preach to you guys. Pastor Brent is out this morning, kind of recharging his batteries. Can we give a round of applause to the man of the house for Pastor Appreciation Month, by the way? He'll be back next week. But yesterday was the World Mental Health Day, and the point of that day is to bring awareness to mental health stigmas that we have in the world around us. This is why we wanted to really start this series called Me, Myself, and Mine. Though as a society we've grown and gotten better, we've gained different perspective, we've became more enlightened, maybe, it still seems that mental health is one of those things that's kind of left to, to its own. And just let me preface this real quick, I'm not a mental health counselor by any stretch. I do spiritual counseling, okay? I have a Bible degree, which basically means that I do this or I ask you if you want fries with that. That's kind of where, where my life is at at this point. And what I don't want to happen and what we don't really want to happen in the middle of this series is we don't want to create victims. We don't want you to, to fall into this, this idea of victimhood or where you are. We don't want to excuse away bad behavior. But I do understand this. God created you and I as complex creatures, and our mind is one of the most complex things in the entire universe. And as much as you would go to the doctor for physical pain, I don't know how much we go to the doctor when we have mental health issues. And that's what we're going to talk about through this whole thing. It was about 10 years ago. I worked at a, at a, at a job. It wasn't here. But it was not a really high-pressure job, but it was a lot of demanding things that you had to do. And so in the middle of this job, I would sit there, and I'd, put my, I'd do my work, and I'd, I'd do everything I was supposed to do. And there were just certain days, certain weeks of the month, couldn't, couldn't really see it, didn't know where it would come from. But I would just start stressing out really, really bad. Okay? And like, okay, we all have stress, right? The whole world has stress. We all have stress. But like, I would get like really anxious thoughts to start like sweating, heartbeat going. I mean, it was just crazy, right? I couldn't, couldn't stop thinking about something. And this would go days and days and days and days. Like, I couldn't sleep. I, it was really, really a, a stressful situation for my life. And, and I didn't really know how to handle it. And I would do that for really the better part of two to three years where I just could not focus. I had no, like, my job was going to start suffering because I couldn't focus on what I was doing because the, the big things in my life were in my mind and I just couldn't get away from them. And so finally I, I did, I went to a doctor, talked to him a little bit about that and just to be completely honest with you, they, they prescribed me some medicine to just kind of stabilize my emotions, stabilize my anxiety, stabilize my moods. And, and there's a thing that we call common grace in theology. It's this idea that God's given us things all around us uh, that we can use as graces for us. And I really truly believe that that was a common grace for my life. Now, I will say this, after I started taking that medicine, I went to one of my pastor friends, and I was just talking to him about it and just kind of talking about the struggles that we're having, and he told me, and I still remember this, and I love him to this day, but I remember he told me, he said, well, why do you have to take medicine? Don't you believe that Jesus is enough for you? And that's where I think we kind of stigmatize this whole thing, right? Because we sit there and think, well, if we're people of faith, if we're people of God, then, then we don't need medicine. We don't need those kind of things to help us. We should just have more faith in God. And after I punched him in the face, I really started to realize that, that the idea there is that Jesus is enough for you and I, but sometimes his enoughness comes through the form of a little, little pill bottle that helps me go through my day. 
And, and that, that's the truth of this. And so I, as a pastor of a church, as one of the pastors here, I'm, I'm letting you know that if you struggle with those things, again, I don't want to create victims. I don't want to create false realities. But if you struggle with those things, there is, I don't see any biblical precedent. And please email me if you want to fight with me on that. I don't see any biblical precedent that that's not something we can have. And if you do want to email me, email me at will.holder at hillspring.tv and make sure to answer those for you. This past week, though, uh, Cassie and I, we celebrated our one-year anniversary on Tuesday. It was great. We got to celebrate. Yeah. Yep. So one of the things is it's, it's our little family. It's Cassie, it's me, and it's, it's my little pig named Moo, okay? Now, the thing about Moo is she's not really little anymore, all right? She, uh, she like I said, she used to fit in my hand, and now she is way larger than that, okay? So she was like five pounds at one point, and now she's about 150 pounds. Now, I empathize and I sympathize with Moo because I wasn't supposed to be this large either, okay? But it just happens in life. Don't know. It just... It's part, of, it's part of the world. And so about every October, though, um, well, there's something cool that you guys do. There's something cool that people in my neighborhood do. They, they bring us pumpkins, all right? Moo loves pumpkins, all right? It is her, like, it's her thing. If you have extra pumpkins, bring them over to the house. She will eat all of them. That's her favorite thing to eat. She loves to just destroy those things. And, and what I started to notice is, like, she'll, she can take a, a large pumpkin, and she can eat it in about 30 minutes or so, okay? She'll tear the thing. And, I mean, when I say she eats it, the whole thing's gone, all right? It, the whole thing is completely out of the way. And so she would eat it and everything, and, and that was just kind of what happens in October. She loves that time. And I remember one time I was walking outside. I was walking out into my backyard, and I was looking around, and I started seeing these things sprouting out of the ground. And I thought, what the heck is this? Is Cassie, like, is she like a gardener now? <laughs> no. And so I'm looking, and I see they're, they're these little bitty gourd-looking things, right? They're, what, what, what is this? Okay, well, what ends up happening inevitably is Moo's eating all the pumpkins, so she's eating all the seeds. And so while she's eating the seeds, she's also depositing the seeds. And so we have a little pumpkin farm in our yard now, right? That's, that's, that's what it is. That's, that's kind of how it looks. The topic I want to talk about today is foundational to this whole series. Okay, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about anxiety. But what I want to talk about today is the kind of the foundation of all of these things. Just like Moo plants these seeds and they start to sprout up later on, what I want to talk about today is the same thing in our life. What you have in your heart, it starts to sprout out in different places in your life. And, and here's what we're going to talk about today. It's just this one word, and it's this word right here. It's called grief. Everyone say grief. Grief, grief is one of the hardest things that we can understand, one of the hardest things that we can it, it's, it's a process. Sometimes we have good days. Sometimes we have bad days. But it's foundational. Anxiety, depression, mood swings, mood swings, suicide, all of that are products of grief in our life. So if we really want to talk about me, myself, and mine, I really want to jump into grief and what that means for us. Because here's the truth. If we don't grieve well, you're never going to walk in the freedom that God has for you. I've known many, many people who've walked away from our faith because they didn't learn how to grieve well. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know what to do. And some of you right now, you're already checking out. You're sitting there thinking, well, I, don't have, I haven't had bad things happen to me. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I haven't, I've had a pretty blessed life. I've had a lot of rough stuff happen. So I don't, really, I don't really care about that. I don't really need to worry about that. But you need to understand this. Grief is not just death. Grief is not just trauma. Grief is an emotional response to change in your life. 
I want to to say that again. Grief is an emotional response to change in your life. We all have grieving processes. So you lose a job, you go through a grieving process. You lose friends, you go through grieving processes. You lose income, you go through grieving processes. Like even right now, we have some seniors in in our church, seniors in our high school that, man, they're losing a lot of their senior year. There's grief in that. They're not getting what the rest of the people have got around them. If we don't grieve well, we won't walk in freedom. If we don't grieve well, we won't really understand the love of God. And so if you will, I want you to go to the, first, the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're just going to read through this. You guys still with me right now? We good? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, the book of Thessalonians is a lot about the end times, so there's a lot there. But in this chapter right here, in this little verse right here, in these two verses... He's going to talk about people dying, but there's something to that. He says, verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep. Okay? It's a nice biblical way of saying they're dead. Okay? Who are asleep. So you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. I want to read that again. We don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. The basis of our hope is this, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul's writing to the church telling about people who have died, but he's saying, hey, when, when they die, what we need to understand is we don't grieve like the people without hope. We're a people of hope. If you're a Christian in this room, we have hope that everything around us, this world, this earth, all of this is temporary compared to the eternal stuff that happens. And so we're not going to grieve like those without hope. So here's what I really want to hit you guys with today more than anything. God calls us to grieve with hope and not live with hopeless grief. Now, this is, I'm just going to be honest. I I know this room pretty well, and there's a lot of grief in this room. There's a lot of past in this room. There's a lot of hurt in this room. There's a lot of pain in this room. And when we get into this, it might unlock some things inside of you. And I I just, I want you to understand this, that, I want to say this in the best way possible, that whatever happens situationally in your life, whatever has happened situationally in your life that's caused grief, I need you to understand that that, 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 I can't talk, that that does not happen in eternity. Eternal things stay. Situational things are temporary. Your, your place with the Lord, no matter what you've went through, if you're written in the book of life, then eternity is yours, no matter what happens around you. And so I want to jump into some of these things. So let's, let's work on the foundation. Where does grief come from? Where does suffering come from? Some of you guys have went through so much pain in your life. Some of you guys think that you're stricken with bad luck. Some of you guys have been suffering for a long time in your life. So let's talk about the foundation of it and where it comes from. So let's talk, just, we're going to just put the, we're going to put it down here. So here's the first thing. The foundation of our grief, number one, it's usually something done to me. Grief happens when something's done to me. Maybe someone hurt you. Maybe someone rejected you. Maybe they cheated on you. Maybe they broke up with you. Maybe they didn't include you. And so you constantly replay that, that memory in your head over and over and over. Grief happens because of something done to you. The second foundation maybe is that grief can happen because of something done by you. The past, the things you swore you would never do. The relationship that you knew was wrong, but you stayed in. The abortion, maybe that you still grieve today. Your, your grief is rooted in the things that you did and how maybe you can never take those things back. 
something done by you. Here's, here's a third one. Something done before you. Something done before you. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 20 says it like this. For the creation, creation, everything around us, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who had subjected it in the hope. Okay, so I'm going to break this down real quick. That the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay and the glorious freedom of God's children. Here's what it's saying. The creation, all of this, everything around us, the world, stars, moons, everything, you and me. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Like, we didn't want this world to look the way it is. We didn't want this to happen this way. This was not the original goal. This was not what God's idea, not what God's design for this world was. It was subjected to futility. Why? If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, the first sin, Adam and Eve, sin entered the world and broke everything around us. Instead, it was subjected in the hope. So there's hope here. God, God put this into futility. He's the one who set this in place in hope that the creation, us, will be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Here, here's the big promise here. That even though the world around us is broken, even though there's cancer, even though there's hurricanes, even though there's pain, even though there's miscarriages, even though there's death in this world, we're subjected to futility and hope that one day he's going to make it right again. That one day, all that we've lost, he'll return to us. That's the idea there. So again, all sin, all hurricanes, all wickedness in this world is because of the sin in the world. And I hope that brings freedom to some of you, because some of you, you feel like you're dealing with your guilt, you're, feeling, you're, like you're dealing with your suffering because of all the bad things you've done. And here's what you need to know. If you're a Christian in this room, God's at peace with you today. You are as forgiven today as you will ever be. You are as loved by God today as you'll ever be. I love in John chapter 17, Jesus looks at the disciples, and he's talking even to us, and he says, as the fathers love me, so I love you. With the same amount of love that God has for the Son, he has that love for you and I. So it's not because of the things that maybe you've done. Maybe God's not just constantly punishing you. If you're a Christian, he's at peace with you, and he's trying to raise you up in a different, in a different way. So those are the foundations of our grief. So let's talk about how we get to hopeful grief. How many of you guys are familiar with, it's called the Kubler-Ross Stages of Grief. Anyone familiar with that? Anyone ever heard of that? Anyone? Okay, yeah, yeah, we see that. Okay, so we'll just go through the five of them. It's denial, it's anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Let's just kind of break them down. Denial, something happens, something happens in your life. This can't be, right? It's the shock. It's like, how, how can this happen? Anger, we move to the next stage. Anger, well, why is it me? Why did this happen to me? I'm a good person. I've done a lot of good things. Like, why? Bargaining, that's... God, if I do this, will you please just do this? That's what that looks like, okay? We keep going on. Depression, that's understanding and realizing what we're grieving about in a hopeless manner. And then you move on to acceptance. That's I'm gonna pick my life up and I'm gonna move on with my life. There's a great book called God's Healing for Life's Losses. And we kind of examine all of these different things. But those five stages, those are good, but that's also a secular perspective. Let's talk about the biblical perspective to how we understand grief today. And so I want to go through those five again, but I want to talk about it from a biblical perspective. So number one, if you have your notes, you can just write this down. Number one, here, here there. Number one, instead of denial, we move from denial to honesty. In your grief stages, in the grief in your life, in whatever you've went through, in whatever situation has hit you, instead of living in denial, 
Maybe we live in honesty about what's happening around us. Instead of moving into isolation, maybe we move into community. We take an honest stock of our life. And, and to be honest, the easiest person for you to lie to is yourself. All the time. And so this is a hard step because you have to really look at yourself and say, okay, maybe there's something, maybe I have to just be honest about what's going on right in front of me. The degree in which you're honest with yourself is the degree in which you're going to make headway in your grieving process. Instead of denying what's happening, you look at it face to face. You see it for what it is. We see this with David's life in the Psalms. Psalms chapter 60 says, I flood my bed with tears. David's very honest about the situation in front of him. Number two, we move from anger to sorrow. First step is honesty with yourself. The next one is really honesty with God. Again, you look at the book of Psalms, David was full of frustration, full of sorrow. He asked God, what are you doing in all of this, God? What, where are you at in this? And so I, I want to free you up to a, little, a, a couple things here. There are some ways that you can complain to God that are actually not bad. Complaining to God about the brokenness in your situation and the world around you, that's biblical. God, why is this happening? God, God, I hate what's going on here. God, I hate that the devil's getting a hold here. God, I hate that this is happening. That's a, that's a biblical call out to God. But when you complain to God about your situation and you start blaming him, calling him out on his lack of wisdom, his lack of goodness, that's when it becomes wrong. Think of the story of Job. Job had the worst day in the history of anybody. He lost everything just like that. And his wife looks at him. He says, hey, Job, why don't you curse God and just die? Job says, no, he gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, cursing separates. Honesty connects. God's big enough for you to be honest. God's big enough for you to say, what are you doing here? What was the point of this? Are you guys still with me right now? Yep. Let's go to number three. We're going to move from bargaining to asking. Bargaining is this, this kind of idea of, God, if you do this, I'll, I'll do this. It's, it's really like, let, let's, play, let, let's make a deal with God. That's, that's what it looks like. It's, it's if you do this, I will do this. We'll work it out. God, I promise that I won't do this. If you can just do this, that's, that's what that looks like. It's really, at the end of the day, it's work-based religion. Not falling back on what you can do what God can do to help you, but falling on to like what you want to do with your own life. It's saying when you move to, when you move back into this asking phase, it's saying you're not enough, but God is enough for you. I love Psalm 72. He says, for he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. If you think of Job and his story, Job's friends were always around him saying, Job, I think this is happening because of something you've done. Why would God do this to you if, if it wasn't some wrong that you committed? Those are the bad friends. Those are the friends that you don't want in your life. Those are the friends that weren't being honest with him. They were just trying to blame him for that. This is moving into a place where you ask God, God, I just need you now. God, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it through today. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the next hour. God, I need you here. Number four, instead of depression, we move from depression to dependence. Depression sees your situation as hopeless. Well, at the end of the day, it's going to be what it's going to be. At the end of the day, God's not going to show up in this situation. At the end of the day, it is what it is. We can only see what's in front of us. And so we only see the earthly perspective. We don't see the eternal heavenly perspective. That's what that looks like. And so we move from depression to dependence. 
Sometimes, by the way, and this is a really, really easy thing to say and a really hard thing to live out, sometimes the best thing that God can do in your life is wreck your life so all you have is dependence on him. Super easy to say. Incredibly hard to live out. Think of the story of Jacob. Jacob, his brother Esau, hated him. He betrayed him. They were angry. Jacob thought, well, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go apologize. I'm going to do all this in my own might. I'm going to go show up to Esau. And he's going to forgive me, and I'll, be, I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to make him love me again. Jacob lays down one night, goes to sleep, wakes up, he starts to wrestle with God, okay? That's not a really easy match to wrestle, right? He starts wrestling with God, and at the end of the night, God dislocates his hip. Why? Because he wanted to show Jacob that he had to be dependent on God. Sometimes your scars, sometimes your brokenness is because he's trying to remind you, hey, it's not you, it's me. Depend on me. Here's the last one, that we move from acceptance to trusting. That we move from acceptance to trusting. It, it's this, it's knowing though that my situation, it might be messed up, but that God can do his best work in the dark places. That he can take my grief and he can turn it into joy. It's moving away from acceptance, like, okay, this is just the lot in my life, this is just what I'm gonna do. It's saying, God, I trust you. I trust that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've put me through, no matter what I've been through, God, that you're going to take it and you're going to make it into something more. It's a, it's a really tough place to be, but it's a really good place for you to live in. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to wrap it up like this. And as we're moving into this fall season, I love this time of year. Before you know it, it's going to be Christmas time. And one of the most fascinating things to me about the birth of Christ is that, that phrase, Emmanuel, right? That God is with us. And in his incarnational ministry, I've always had this question, um, why? Why did he do what he did? Why did Jesus come to this earth as a man, go into the manger, go throughout life, go to a cross and die, why, why did he endure all of that time? Like, what, what was his goal there? I mean, if we're honest, Jesus could have just came to the earth, lived a perfect life, went to a cross, died, and that would have been it. We could have had the same result. But, but he didn't do that. And I think Hebrews chapter 2 tells us why. Hebrews 2 says like this, Therefore, he, he is Jesus, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. He, he had to be like you and I in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he was able to help those who are tempted. This thought process goes on to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews four verse, four, verse 15 says it like this, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, to empathize with our weakness. We have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Again, my question has always been, if Jesus wanted to, he could have just came to the earth. He could have lived a perfect life. He could have went to the cross. He could have died and all of our attorneys would be set. That's all he had to do. But he didn't do that. If you look at the story of Jesus, his life, he, he lived a pretty hard life. He lived a life that was really, it was pretty difficult. Like, like if you know this story, he lost somebody, right? The Bible says that he sits down and he cries at the death of Lazarus. Do you understand that Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die, and yet he sat down and cried when his best friend died? He, he was broke. He, like, he, he looks at people and he says, 
Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay down at night. Jesus understands what it feels like to be broke. He had family that didn't believe in him. Think about that. That his mother and his brother said, hey, I think he's crazy. He understands what it feels like to have family that doesn't believe in you. He understood anxiety. Remember the, the time at the garden? He's praying and he's praying and he's praying. And he's stressed out. And the Bible says that there was like, like his sweat was like blood dripping down his brow. He understood exhaustion. He understood the idea and the fear of having to protect your family. Think about this moment. He's on the cross and his mother's there. And he says, mom, behold your son. And he looks at John, he says, John, behold your mother. Here's what he's saying. John, take care of my mom. Why did he go through all this stuff? Why did he live this life the way he lived it? Why did he have to go through such a tough time? Judas, one of the 12, one of his best friends that comes up and betrays him. Why do, why do you have to live through all of that? Here's why, I want you to get this, I want you to get this. So that in the middle of your hard times, in the middle of your grief, in the middle of loss, in the middle of those moments where you don't know what's going on, in the middle where the whole world feels out of place, Jesus can look at you and say, I know. I know. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be lost. I know what it feels like to be betrayed. I know what it feels like to grieve. I know what it feels like to lose somebody. I know what it feels like to feel like you're all alone. I know what it feels like to not know how you're gonna pay for the next thing. I understand, I get it. Hebrews 2 and, verse, and chapter 4, they both said that he came to this earth so he could look at you on your worst day and say, I get it. I feel you. I understand what you're going through. He's a high priest that can look at the Father and say, God, their temptation, their sin, their hurt, their loss, their tears, I get that because I've been there. There's not one temptation, there's not one emotion, there's not one grieving moment in your life that Jesus did not feel. You see, truthfully, God the Father, he can know your struggles. The Holy Spirit can comfort you in your struggles, but Jesus is the only one that can say, hey, I understand how you're feeling right now. And so if God can know it, and Jesus can feel it, then I promise you this, even in your darkest days, you can get through it. Your grief is not final, and it's a process. But I'm so thankful that I have a God, that I have a high priest that says, I get it, I know. And he knows you today, and he hears you today and he feels you today, and you're not alone. And there's gonna come a day where he makes everything right again. And so that's our hope. Let's not grieve like those without hope. Let's grieve with those knowing that Jesus is coming back. And now all that you've lost, he'll return to you a hundredfold.
I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.